Thanks for listening to the Highlands Highfields Message Podcast. Whether you're new to Highlands and are listening for the first time or you want to hear a past message again, welcome. Our heart at Highlands is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus so you can have a life full of purpose as you grow in your faith and lead others to Jesus. We hope you enjoy and are inspired by the latest message from one of our communicators. You have picked a great Sunday to come to church this morning. We have the honour of having Pastor Jonathan Gulo from the Sunshine Coast joining us. Uh, the brother of Ash, who was here. There's been, don't, don't, the, he is the better looking brother of the two, I've been told, and younger. Don't get that mixed up um, <laughs> or he'll hurt his feelings. But uh-huh. pro- lead pastor at the Sunshine Coast also has a church in Canberra as well, which is going great, but a national executive member of INC, which is the movement that we are a part of with over 120 churches in Australia and who knows how many around the world, a few more, uh, which is just, it's a great honour to have him with us here this morning. And I know he leads a church with the idea of having Jesus in everything. And so when we were coming into this series, I thought, well, let's get Jono, who just oozes this kind of message. And so I'd love you to put your hands together as we honour Jono as he comes to share the Word of God with us. Thanks, mate. Well, good morning. This is my first time in Toowoomba in about 15 years. And um, I forgot... What an incredibly beautiful city this is. So it's amazing to be here. Got to see the sunrise today over the Masonic Lodge in the middle of town, which is a great view, great building. Um, I have memories uh, from my childhood of a couple named Ken and Moira. And um, they're your pastors. And this is over, this is many, this is over, well over 30 years ago now. And to see you both leading with vision and courage and faith in a community that is pumping and growing and making a difference, not just in Toowoomba, but it, your influence is spreading. I think we do a poor job of celebrating the faithfulness of people who um, commit to following Jesus and leading people for years and years and years. And to see you guys serving Jesus for decades is a massive inspiration to me. So I want to honor you both here today. Thank you so much for having me uh, in your church, in your community. It's inspiring. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to get the chance to speak into this series, Jesus Over Everything. Um, eight years ago, my wife and I took on the leadership of Suncoast Church on the Sunshine Coast. So there is Toowoomba. It's beautiful as it is. You know, have you been to Mooloolaba? Have you been to Noosa? Have you been to Nam- Nambour? Does that fit? Anyway, if you've been to Nambour, you understand the joke. Um, but we, um, you know, we kind of, we were young. I was 29 at the time. My wife was 26. And we were like, what's, what's, if we were to be known for anything as a church community, as we uh, got involved in everything we do in our local city, what do we want to be known for? Like, what would be the beating heart? And all we knew, it had something to do with Jesus. And so, you know, we, we tried all the fancy, creative ways of coming up with good titles and good slogans and mottos. We couldn't come up with anything good, like, that we thought was creative. And, and Chloe just goes to me, what, like, just give, me, give it to me straight. Like, what do you think it is for you? I was like, I just, I just know that following Jesus was never meant to be, you know, compartmentalized to Sundays or to a church service. Like, like following Jesus is has changed every part of my life. And maybe you're new to church or exploring faith. You've got to know this about Jesus. It's like, He isn't reserved for just buildings and a couple, you know, an hour on a Sunday. And anyone who is a part of this church, we have to tell you that themselves. Jesus changes our lives and it affects every part of our life. And 
And so Chloe's like, so what are you saying? I'm like, well, I guess I kind of feel like a heartbeat is that Jesus would be in everything. That if we are a healthy, vibrant community of Jesus followers, Jesus' authority and lordship and influence and, and power would be seen in my marriage and how I parent my children and my finances and how I'm a good neighbor to people and the difference I make in the world. It should be in everything. And Chloe's like, well, that's it. And so that kind of came our heartbeat for the past eight years, Jesus in everything. And so I'm just stoked to be able to speak into your series, Jesus, Jesus Over Everything. So um, if you think about it, do you find it easy to, I don't know how you're wired. I find like different people, some people like are more creative, other people like Excel spreadsheets. I don't know where you fit in all of that. But, and some are like, can't you have both of them? No, you can't. You're either creative or you're an Excel spreadsheet kind of person. But it's easy sometimes to compartmentalize our lives, you know, particularly when it comes to matters of faith, because like, here's my family box over here and here's, here's my work box, here's my hobbies and my habit box and, all, and then here's my faith box. And we go around, we, we kind of, you know, because our lives are limited, we have to organize and plan. And so we budget and we create margins. So we have our areas, but maybe you'll agree with this. Maybe you won't, but I've certainly found in my life that something will be first, Something will be central to everything else and it will be that one thing that affects all my other commitments. And so what I've quickly found, if whatever I put in the center of my life, it's central to my life, is the core conviction of my life, it will make an impact on all the other commitments I have. And so, so it's either gonna be Jesus and He's gonna be over everything. If it's not Jesus, Jesus still might be in there somewhere in my life, but something else will be center. And whatever is central, whatever is first, whatever is core will ultimately make a huge difference in all of our lives. And so I've quickly learned that there's a, a big difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. Have you noticed that in your life before? Now we might believe in Jesus, you know, and, and I don't know, maybe you're new to faith and you're, or maybe not even yet a believer. And so you're, you're here wrestling with this today. But we can believe in Jesus, believe in who He was and what He did for us and believe that His life and death and resurrection means so much for us today and, and the standing it gives us with our Heavenly Father. But to believe Jesus is, is a whole other thing. It means you let Him not only be God, but Lord of your life, that you would trust Him at His Word, that you'd let Him lead you and rule in your life. And so I'm cool with believing in Jesus. I, I mean, yeah, God's all about love. I believe in that. I believe Jesus is faith, all those things. But to believe Him, to trust Him, to put Him central in my life, that is something, well, that's something entirely bigger. I, I see it this way, right? I've been married now almost 11 years. And yes, it, woo indeed. <laughs> Anyone else with me? Woo! Just making sure, you know, particularly if you're sitting with your spouse uh, or someone you want to be married to, just give them the woo. So I've been married almost 11 years. It didn't take me long to realize there is a big difference between uh, a wedding and marriage. A wedding is a day. Marriage is a long time. And I, you know, the past, I, I get the great privilege of sitting with young couples as they get ready to get married. And it strikes me as odd, I understand it, but odd, that we can be inclined to put so much time and effort into the wedding day. But I'm like, you know that's over really quickly. And then the rest of your life, they'll invest time and stress and conversation and money and investment, you know, into a day. But what about 
the whole life. That the big difference, in the same way, the difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus and following Him, letting Him rule your whole life. Yes, you got married, but now you have to be married. Um, similar to if you're a parent here, if, I was going to say, if you've ever been a kid, you've all been a kid. Um, the difference between uh, giving birth and having children. Now, I don't pretend for a moment to at all empathize or sympathize um, or understand the journey that a mother has to go through in giving birth. I was there for the birth of both. And I'm going to be careful here. I don't want to put my foot in my mouth. I, I was present for the birth of, of both of my daughters. Um, but I had a very different experience to my wife. Let's just put it that way. And <laughs> so there's giving birth, but then there's having children. Again, one's an event. Another is it will dominate your whole life. Um, so I've got two daughters. Willa, she's five. Noah, she's two. And I am a proud, I'm a proud daddy's girl, okay? Daddy's girl? I'm a proud dad of girls. <laughs> don't, don't keep this recorded version. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Um, so... And one of my favorite things to do growing up with my daughters is I love to go hiking with them. I've got a, I brought a backpack when my first child was born, put the kid in the back and we go hiking and everything. And so I love it. So, so I love getting outdoors. I love being in mountains and going on trails. And so I've tried to raise my children up to be into that as well. Now, at the start of this year, my eldest Willa, she's in her first year of school. And so in the first term, it didn't dawn on me, but cross country was coming up. Now, um, I was not good at cross country in school at all, but now I'm really passionate about that kind of thing. So I was like, this is my moment for like me to finally shine, I mean, my daughter to finally shine, you know? And so, so I was pumped. I was getting my daughter ready. Cross country's coming. You've been training. You know, she goes running with me. I'm like, she's going to dominate. And if Chloe, my wife, could see that I was getting a little overexcited for the upcoming cross country event. So she pulled me aside the week of. So Johns, we need to have a chat about uh, cross country. I'm like, yeah, I'm pumped. She goes, exactly. We need to have a chat. She goes, um, I just, because um, similar to you, we have, a, we have a school on our campus that we oversee as well, Suncoast Christian College. Um, so, you know, we get to oversee and pastor and lead that community. And so Chloe's like, look, I know you love our daughters and I know you're passionate about her doing cross country and all those things. But can you just keep some sense of decorum about you on the cross country day? Can you just kind of keep your cool? You know, you're the pastor, you know, just... You kind of wear a college shirt or something. I don't know. Just be. And I was like, Chloe, what are you talking about? It's me. And she's like, exactly why I'm having this chat, because it's you. And I'm like, okay, okay, I'll keep it cool. You know where this story is going, right? So the, the day gets there. I'm trying to keep it cool. I'm trying to keep a lid on it. And uh, the, the race starts and my daughter's laughing. The whole, and I'm like, okay, she's having fun. She's already a winner. So I'm chilling, drinking my coffee and all that. And they're running around the oval. And, uh, and as I, I kind of, I'm like, want to see where she's at. So I kind of walk to where the last about 200 meters of, of this race is. I go around the corner, wait to see where she's at. I'm assuming she'd be like in the middle of the pack somewhere. Nope. She is like miles in front by a long way. And I was like, oh boy. I can't explain how what happened happened, but it happened. <laughs> um, it's like any sense of class and keeping it cool and decorum just fell from me. And I became a dad in that moment. I pulled out my phone. I started running alongside with my daughter. Go, Willa, come on, smash them, smash them, faster, faster. They're five, you know? Um, I lost all, and I was just, now you're judging me. Stop judging me. Like, I know what you're thinking. I like to think of what happened was, is that 
because I love my daughter, right? I, it was just this sense of overwhelming love. That's what happened there, right? It wasn't me being a kook or losing my cool. It was like, I just, I was just so, and it's the truth. I just, my, I was crying. Now, I know they think that's weird. I'm a little bit weird, but I love my girl. It's the first time I'd seen her in like a competition. She was having fun. She was doing well. And I just, I was so proud of her. Now, again, before you get too judgy on me, let me I'll tell you why I tell that story. In this, in this moment, I got a, I felt like a brief glimpse into, I think, how our Heavenly Father feels about us. He is so proud of you. He loves you so, so deeply. To be honest, the story of overwhelming love, this is the story of Christianity. The whole message and hope of Christianity is of a God whose love for you is so deep, is so wide, is so high, His heart is for you. Your heavenly Father loves you so deeply. And in fact, some have argued that, and this is why a lot of people get offended by the Christian story of a God who became a man, a God who humbled himself, a God who took on the form of a servant. Yeah, I mean, that's how much God God loves us. It's like he he took off his class, he took off his crown and he laid it down to be able to serve you and I. Now, maybe I lost my cool running with my phone, but God left heaven for you and I. This is like the message of Christianity. This is a remarkable truth. And in fact, even just the one act of Jesus on that day when he died for humanity, that one act is an act that has overwhelmed every single other act. And it's an act that supersedes and is greater and is more significant than any wrong you and I have ever done or could do. Jesus' one act on the cross it's kind of like, how easy would it be for you and I to do something and that one thing we've done maybe in our past, we make it central to our life and it sets the tone for all of our life. Maybe we go through life a little bit ashamed, a little bit embarrassed, a little bit shy. When you realize there is one other act that you can put in the center of your life, what Jesus did for us. And that one act alone is enough to be over everything else in our life and it overwhelms our sin. It overwhelms the sense of falling short or weakness in our life. So what act have you put central in your life that is over everything? Now, One of Jesus' first followers, the disciple named John, he was there on the day where Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago. And in his latter part of his life, he wrote a bunch of letters that are included in our New Testament. And one of the first letters he wrote, he kind of, in the best way possible, kind of poured out his heart of how he described this whole idea of us being in a relationship with God and this whole idea of God's overwhelming love for us. Here's how John puts it. He says, see what Great love, and again, John was there when Jesus was crucified and he concluded, look at what great love the Father I love this word. We need to bring this word back. Lavished on us. Look at the great love He's lavished on us. We should be called children of God. And that is what we are. You're a child of God. And John's conclusion was God has lavished love on our life. Now, if you think about being a child, a child is forever. It's not like I'm a child today. I'm not tomorrow, but I might be the next day, right? When you've got a kid, they're a kid for life, right? But this is the idea of being immersed in the goodness of God and the reality of Jesus is that we've been lavished in incredible love. And like your child every single day, His love can overwhelm you. Every single day, you can be caught up in this amazing story of God's hope and promise and joy and life. For you. It is a truly this idea of being lavished by something. It is truly overwhelming at times. But as much as God's love for us can be immensely overwhelming, and immensely hopeful, and immensely life-giving. Let's be real. Life itself, at times, can be incredibly overwhelming. I mean, if the last two and a bit years have taught us anything, man, if 
there can be stuff that can bury us and can cause us to be super fearful and worried and anxious. And I mean, I've been reminded over the past two years that there is a, it's almost like a battle that rages in our heart for what is first. And how quickly that Jesus, as much as He is ruler over everything, I wanna maintain that He's ruler over my life. When He stays first in my life, He sets a tone for everything else. But there's often a competition for whatever else wants to be first. And there's enough to make us fearful and anxious and worried. There's a lot to be overwhelmed by. And maybe today you're feeling overwhelmed right now. Perhaps there's just a ton going on in your own life. I certainly know there's a lot going on in my life. And it would be so easy for us to allow something else other than Jesus to rule over everything in our life. Maybe you've rocked up to church today. And what set your tone and how you engage in the, the worship set and how you engage in giving, community. Maybe there's something else going on in your life that's setting the tone for how you engage with faith. What I want to look at today, if you're experiencing that, what I want to look at today is how you and I can experience more from the God who is overwhelming and less of the things that can overwhelm us. Because no doubt about it, you're human, you've got breath in your lungs, there's going to be things that can be very overwhelming in life. So I want to learn just one experience today of how we can know more of the God who is overwhelming and experience less of the things that can overwhelm us. And the way I, I guess I want to do this is look at... Um, just one story in the New Testament. Funny enough, of, of Jesus' mother, Mary. And if you're familiar with the story, maybe if you're new to church, perhaps you're familiar with the Christmas story, or you've rocked up the church for Christmas time. And so the first time we introduced to Jesus is, is the news of his impending birth, incoming birth with Mary. And we pick up, I want to pick up the story here. And, and I love that this story is recorded by Luke. Luke was a doctor in the first century. He recorded all the eyewitness accounts of the events around Jesus' life. And it's now included in our New Testament. It's one of the four gospels, one of the four accounts of Jesus' life. And he records the events as it transpires when Mary, as a young teenage Jewish girl in ancient Israel, is, is met by an angelic being, an angel. Imagine that being overwhelming. And announces to her that she will be giving birth to the son. Of God. Here's where we, we pick up the story. Luke says, In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and we'll come back to that, Elizabeth is Mary's cousin, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town called Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. You following along? Okay, keep in mind that idea of descendant of David. We'll come back from there. The virgin's name was, was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And goes on. Mary. <laughs> This is a very human side to her, right? Mary was greatly troubled. Now, have you ever met an angel before and they've rocked up and been greetings, highly favored one? You're gonna be freaking out, right? <laughs> he was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid. Why did he say that? Because she was afraid. <laughs> Stop freaking out. What's the worst thing you can say to someone when they're freaking out? You know, Stop you, know. <laughs> you have found favor with God. It goes on. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you to call him Jesus and he will be great and he will be called the son, not of her fiance, but of God. Before we read the next verse, I just wanna paint a, a real picture of what's happening here. You have a, a young teenage girl who would have had a life planner before, had, had, was engaged, betrothed to a, a best we can tell, a, a, an amazing guy who had a great standing in the community. And that's one of the best things a girl in her situation could have hoped for, right? Marrying to a great family. He was a tradesman, had a good income. And to be betrothed or to be engaged in Jewish culture back in the day meant you were married without the fun, right? So you were like, you're committed. Someone got that over here, great. It's <laughs> 8.30 service, you know. <laughs> um, so for her receiving this news, you're now pregnant. 
you realize how troubling this was for her? Because number one, it would have meant, and you, you get this, right? Would have lost her standing in the community. Most likely, imagine trying to break that news to your fiance. So I'm pregnant. And he's there going, I know I'm not the father. So who's the father? And she's like, God is. Lose her, lose her future. Lose her standing. It's a good chance she would have been ostracized. This is what everything she would have been faith. You know, we're here, wow, what amazing news for Mary. Not for Mary at this time. Like, it's no wonder she was troubled at his words because like her family would disown her. In fact, in worst case scenarios, there was precedent in the ancient culture that you're pregnant outside of wedlock, you could be stoned for that. So we're thinking, wow, what an amazing opportunity for Mary. No wonder she was troubled at these words. This was overwhelming news. Have you ever received overwhelming news before? Maybe some of you got it this week. Remember like the last two years, you were holding your breath every time there was a new press conference on, like what is happening now? Like a phone can ring any particular day and receive overwhelming news. But this is where Mary found herself. And then it goes on, it gets worse in some ways. Next verse. Says, God will give him, your son, the throne of his father David. Now, David was a great patriarch of Israel, who's the great king, lived about a thousand years before Jesus, right? So everyone wanted someone to have the throne of David. Like that was like what everyone was aiming for. Says, your son will have the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants. They were the Jews, and his kingdom will never end. Now, again, just if it couldn't get worse for Mary, now the angel says to him, Your son is gonna rival Caesar. Now, any person that rivaled Caesar in the ancient world pretty much had a death sentence over their head. So not only did she have bad news, I'm going to be pregnant outside of wedlock, I'm going to be booted out of my family, my fiance is going to dump me, I'm probably going to escape a stoning. And what's worse, if I had this kid, great, Caesar's going to hear about it and going to try to come and kill him and probably kill me in the process, which is exactly what they tried to do. Talk about overwhelming news. How's your day going? Okay. So this is where we find Mary. But let's, and I don't know what your news is. Maybe, maybe your news isn't like Mary's, but... You might have your own troubling news. And let's be real, there's a lot of troubling news in the world. And stay with me for a moment. I want to paint a picture of something we've probably all experienced. If you just turn on the news right now, um, there's a lot to be troubled by. Let's be real, most news is troubling. If you turn on the news right now, you're going to hear about environmental disasters, obliterated economies, pandemics, threats of wars. Depending on what your news source is, you'll hear about the threats of AI, threats to your privacy, loss of civil freedoms that we once took for granted. Isn't this encouraging? Um, and if you're a Jesus follower here, the good news is you're the most persecuted group on the planet. So good for you guys. Um, but there's no doubt about it. One of the leading causes for us feeling a sense of being overwhelmed in our life is the overconsumption of news. Now stay with me for a bit. I want to just get a little, little pastoral on you for a moment, a little practical. What makes news news is that it's troubling. And again, if you work in media here in any of the forms, you guys, you're nodding your head going, yeah, it's true. Like you want clicks, you want likes, you want views. Um, but the problem, some of the fallout of this is that we're exposed to more than ever before. Um, in fact, I was hearing an alarming, alarming report recently that those who work in the therapy profession, they now link the rise in youth anxiety levels with the rise of the global news cycle. Because it's always going, right? If you turn, I don't know what your relationship with the media, whether it's on your phone or television or the rest. As soon as you turn on your phone, there's news of global unrest, social unrest, housing crisis, environmental crises, on and on and on. And one of the issues is, particularly with today's younger generation, is they are exposed to far more information and troubling news than ever before, but yet they have not been equipped with the tools on how to handle it. 
And so we're all bombarded with that right now. And again, I'm just telling you something you guys all know, but I'm, I'm trying to paint a picture here. Um, but then I was reading an amazing author recently. Some of you be familiar with him, John Elderidge. He's a great Christian author and therapist. And he made this statement. He said, the human soul is village-sized. Now think about this. The argument was that you and I have the emotional capacity margin to only handle so much. Here's a newsflash. You and I aren't God. We're humans. And our soul has the ability to handle and care for only so much. And he argues that from a therapist and a Christian perspective, you and I can care for family, your neighborhood, your community. And that's like the lion's share of what you and I can actually emotionally give ourselves to. Now, that's not to say you shouldn't care about issues that are happening across the world. It's not to say you and I shouldn't be engaged in mission wherever we see it outside of our you know, circle of influence. But he's saying emotionally, we are wired to only care for so much. You and I can't care about and actively engage with every single problem on the whole entire planet every single day of our life. Why is that? Because your soul is only village-sized. You're not meant to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. Only God has shoulders that can handle that kind of weight. We're only emotionally wild to be able to handle healthily only so much. Now, again, I read another author, a Swiss novelist by the name of Rob DeBelly, and he made this statement. He says, news, news is to the mind what sugar is to the body. Now, again, I'm just introducing my eldest child recently to Coke. I know I'm a bad parent, been neglecting a long time introducing her to that, but man, does she go crazy when she has Coke. It's wild, right? Um, so we call it crazy juice, okay? I'm sorry if you work for Coke, but that's how it works in my house. But, but news outlets know this, they leverage this. Phone technology companies know this, they leverage this. The more dings and pings that your phone makes, the more it keeps you addicted and we're digesting and we're eating all of this stuff up, okay? Now, why, why do they do kind of this little side thing about the news and digestion of media and all the stuff that can be overwhelming. Why is that? Well, in the middle of all this, and I was confronted with my sense of feeling this tension between God being the center of my life and living every day with the sense that Jesus is over everything in my life and even the hard parts and the tricky part, God is central. But then I just felt this tug and this pull of everything else that wants to dominate my life and dominate my attention and dominate my commitment. I felt all this. And as I was kind of working through this in my own emotional health and my own spiritual health, I came across one particular author and he he asked a question that <laughs> it challenged me to my core. He said this, what would my life be like if God touched my mind as frequently as I touched my phone? So I was like, how frequently do I touch my phone? So I did my study and research on my phone. <laughs> do you wanna know what the average is? The average of how often we touch our phones in a day? It's between two and 4,000 times a day. When I found that out, I read this question again. Because I control how often I touch my phone. It's on me. I can either say, you know, news companies and phone technology companies, they're all set up to get my attention. Yeah, they are, but who's in control of my life? So I'm control with how, so then I ask the question, how often do I allow or position myself or put myself in a space to allow God to touch my mind, my life. Who's in control? Who's, who am I putting in the center of my life? What am I allowing to speak loudest to? What is really over everything in my life? Now, I can't control everything in the world, no doubt about it. But I can control what I choose to give my attention to. Jesus is over everything, but do I allow him to be over my life? 
And here's Mary, right, in the middle of overwhelming news. So much going on, like that's happening in our world today. There's so much to be distressed by, anxious, distracted. Like the list could go on and on and on. But Mary gives us an insight on what to do to not allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by things that can swamp our life, but rather be overwhelmed by the goodness of God. This is what Luke goes on to say. After she gets this announcement, she said, at that time, what do you do at that time? When things are overwhelming in your life, at that time, what do you do? Here's what Mary does. She got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home. This was her cousin, Elizabeth, who we read about earlier. This is her home. And she greeted Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth was an amazing woman of faith trusted God with her life. And I love the fact that Mary hurried to Elizabeth. When she received troubling news, she didn't go to the pub, right? There could have been a million places she hurried to, but she hurried to the one place she knew where someone would encourage her faith, where someone would remind her of who God is. Jesus wasn't yet born. Um, Who would lift her eyes heavenward rather than get her to be all grumpy about how things are and grumble about Herod and grumble about Caesar. She went to the one person she knew would point her direction and her attention towards her heavenly Father. She hurried to the one who would encourage her faith. And my question to you this morning is simple. When you're overwhelmed, where do you run to? When you're feeling a sense of, man, there's a lot going on in the world, where do you turn? Where do you, what do you give your attention to and your time to and your motion to and your screen time to? Where do you run to when you're overwhelmed? I love that Mary ran to a home that was gonna encourage her faith. That's why I wanna applaud and appreciate you for being here today, for prioritizing being not just part of a church community, but attending church services. This is a big deal. There's a lot you can do with your time and being intentional of every week, bringing your children here, prioritizing it in your life, being around a local church to encourage your faith, recognizing there is a lot going on in the world, but I need to be reminded regularly of who is in control and who is faithful and who has lavished His love upon me. You'll run like Mary did to a house full of faith. But do you know you can turn your own home into such a place as well? Do you know that? You don't have to wait until you get into this kind of house where you're all together. Be intentional about the environment you create in your home. I am so challenged about my presence when I walk home from work, when I wake up in the morning. What atmosphere do I bring in my home? I wanna bring the kind of presence and atmosphere where my children grow up knowing that mum and dad love Jesus. Mum and dad, even though there's a lot of responsibility on their shoulders, something else is over everything. They have a reason to sing. They have a reason to be glad. They have a reason to be generous. And so I wanna turn my home into a house that is overflowing with hope and faith and optimism that my children will be lavished by their earthly father to be affirmed about how much their heavenly father has lavished his love upon them. What about your habits? What do you begin your day with? Are you quick to roll over and open the phone and finish your day on your phone? I'm not criticizing you for that, but think about the habits. What sets your tone? Because everything is fighting to be first, to be over everything else in your life. So what happens first in your life is so important. I'm conscious with my finances. It's so cool to hear how generous we are financially. Everything is fighting to be first with my finances. But what I put first will affect everything else in my life. And isn't it amazing that when we get over busy or overwhelmed, it's often the things that are truly life-giving for our soul that is often the first to go rather than our first go-to. Let me say that again. Why is it that when we're often stressed or overwhelmed or feeling weighty about things in life or over busy, those things that are truly life-giving like prayer and fellowship, 
community, meditating on God's word, opening the scripture. Why is it so often that they're the first to go rather than our first go-to? What are the habits we've put in our place in our life? So here's Mary. She runs to a house full of faith. And then as a result of that, this is what flows out of her. She prays a prayer, or rather she sings a song. And here's what Mary said. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. Look at this word magnifies. I don't know what comes to mind when you think of that. I can't help but think about all the poor ants that I burnt as a child with a magnifying glass. What do you do with magnify means to take something and make it bigger in your view. It doesn't change the size it is. It just, it becomes bigger to you. You can't make God any bigger. He is over everything, whether you see it or not. But you can choose to magnify God in your life and to put Him first and to make Him larger than all else because what you and I give our attention to will become bigger. And so Mary goes, my soul, out of all the things my soul could do right now, I could be fearful and make large about the uncertainty of my future and the uncertainty of my child. And I feel that. I can feel uncertain about the future and I feel uncertain about the world my children are going up in, but I can let that stuff be magnified in my innermost being where I can choose daily to magnify the one who is over everything and to recognise Jesus is in control and Jesus is faithful. And if I believe the songs that we were singing this morning, that He is faithful, He's my hope for tomorrow, then I wanna let that truth be the thing that I make largest in my life, to magnify. And you know what was amazing? When Mary magnified God, it says her spirit rejoiced. This is amazing to me. Mary found joy in the middle of troubling news. That blows my mind. How did Mary find joy in the middle of news where she should have been freaking out? Because her soul magnified God. She put her attention and affection on a heavenly Father. The more attention we give to God in our lives, the more of God you and I are going to experience. He is faithful. He is present. He is here. He's never absent. But we are. We can be scattered and fearful and anxious and worried. But what we give our attention to is ultimately what we will experience most. We will be overwhelmed by what owns our attention. I heard it said recently that our life is no more than the sum of what we give our attention to. Because attention leads to awareness. God is present. He's always present. He's here with you right now. He's here in your home. He's here in the mornings. He's with you in the evenings. He's never scattered. He's never distant. We just don't often give Him our attention. Things are always fighting for our attention. So I wonder if there's a couple of things that you can change in your life to be intentional about what gets your attention, what gets your best, what gets your first. And something that helps me, and I wanna finish with an old verse from a song in the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. It's a verse that I've committed to memory. And I wanna share it with you today. Maybe it can help you when you're feeling that struggle in your life. You've got bad news, you've had troubling news and it's trying to dominate every part of your life. But then you're like, I need to keep Jesus center so He dominates and He overwhelms my life. I'm, this is a verse that I come back to time and time again and I've committed to memory and I wanna leave it with you today. This is from Psalm 61. We mentioned King David earlier, a thousand years before Jesus. He penned these words. He said, when my heart is overwhelmed within me, and maybe you feel like that today, there's a lot going on. And within you, there's a tension of what is overwhelming me. He prayed, God, would you lead me to the rock 
that is higher than I. Would you lead me to recognize that Jesus is over everything? He's in control. He's faithful. And I find when we learn to put God in His proper place in our lives, everything else learns to get put in its proper place too. So maybe this morning you've felt that tension and that struggle of what's first in your life. Maybe Jesus had been in the mix, but maybe he's been a bit peripheral, you know? This is my Jesus side, but Jesus, you can't be involved in this side. And maybe there's been a struggle for what is first. And maybe the thing that's been first in your life has been overwhelming you, but not in the good sense, in the bad sense. I wanna just take a moment to pray with you wherever you're at today, that we'd put Jesus right back in the center of our lives to recognize he is over everything, that we would experience more of the God who has lavished his love upon us and less of the things that can overwhelm us. And maybe you've never, ever prayed to God, or maybe you've never prayed for God to be first in your life, I want you to be included in this prayer too today of making Him first and putting Him over everything. Heavenly Father, today I am so grateful for Your Son, Jesus, that we have a hope in the middle of an overwhelming life and an overwhelming times and seasons. Help us today to be reminded of Your great love towards us, how much You have lavished hope and lavished life on us. And I pray for hearts today that are maybe feel the weight of the season they're in. Maybe they've lost their sleep, lost their joy. Maybe anxiety has been speaking so loudly. I pray today by the power of your Holy Spirit, you release all that from them. They would again be filled with your joy and your hope. And that like Mary, we'd be able to say together that our soul magnifies the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Highlands Highfields Message Podcast. We hope you feel encouraged to take these words with you to know God, find freedom, discover your purpose and to make a difference. If you feel moved by today's message and want to connect with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at highlands.highfields on Facebook or Instagram or head to highlandschurch.org.au for more resources and information. Be sure to follow the Highlands Highfields message podcast on your preferred platform to stay up to date with our latest message. We hope to see you in person soon.